television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. I'm Adrian Davis and joining me this week, through the miracle of satellite technology, is Emily Benita. Hi Emily, how's it going? Hi Ed, uh, it's been a weird couple of weeks, I won't lie. Um, my mum passed away on the 27th of September, which is part of the reason why we didn't record an episode. And mm. it's nice to be back talking with you. Oh, good. Yeah, so... Um, a sad time, a strange time, but I'm very glad to be back talking with you. I'm very glad to have you back. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, I've said this to you privately, but yeah, I'm I'm very, very sorry about that. Thank you, Carl. So we've been off for a couple of weeks and there's a lot of kind of news that's backed up, but uh, we're going to talk about that in uh, another episode. We're going to kind of catch up on some news next week. So the news segment this week is primarily going to be focusing on the fact that this week it was the year anniversary of the publishing of the New York Times's article about uh, the Harvey Weinstein scandal, you know, the the revelations of his, you know, kind of dozens and dozens and decades of actions of sexual assault against, you know, actors and just women in Hollywood in general, which was very much along with the uh, election of Donald Trump, probably one of the most catalyzing moments of the Me Too movement. And so we wanted to talk about Me Too as it stands kind of a year on from from that moment, which really felt like a huge seismic event uh, at the time and I think has led to a, a great change in the kind of the way in which people discuss sexual assault and harassment but it also played out against the backdrop of the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court you know a man who is credibly accused of multiple instances of sexual harassment and assault himself uh so there was definitely you know this felt like a very strange week (laughs) in terms of you know where we were a year ago, where we are now, and the question of, you know, how how much things have changed. Yes, a year on, where are we a year on? It doesn't feel like progress right now. Mm. I think looking at everything that seems to be gathering pace again right now, it's weird because we look at people who, you know, um, I say alleged, we know. But legally, mm-hmm. alleged, people like Louis C.K., Asi Sansari, and they're all sort of coming back, you mm. know, seemingly never having heard of the anniversary effect in PTSD. Like, why is now the time to come back, if ever, at all? Louis C.K., I read somewhere, I think it's 289 days he spent off stage before coming back to the Comedy Cellar. And in between the last time you and I spoke, Ed, He's back again. Yeah, I saw that. Which is staggering. And the attitude of the venue is appalling. Very much Mm. a, you accept this as part of comedy or you're the snowflake and you can leave and go wherever else you want, which people will. (laughs) Mm. I think it will be interesting to see how long the comedy cellar uh, stays 
um, solvent if it continues in this way. And I see Sansari as well is hilarious because I think, I don't know whether it's his term, but I saw the article recently where he's coming back with more material um, saying that we have to warn against extreme wokeness. Mm. which is funny because I, I don't think there's such a thing as extreme wokeness i think it's really just you being called to face the consequences of your actions it's funny that he's really concerned essentially about this extreme wokeness now that there's been a backlash on him yeah i think that's very altruistic mm-hmm. aziz so that's all happening i saw someone's say uh, sum up that article by saying uh, everyone's an ally until they're not yeah <laughs> uh which seems to be certainly seems to describe his approach to it you know of, of years of of doing specials where and, and a whole book you know about you know kind of like trying to relate to women in an empathetic way and trying to understand women's that the, the, what women go through in the world and then as soon as people are like saying hey you you've been really shitty to women in your personal life he's like well, this has to stop. Completely. And let's not forget, Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari made money. They made so much money and their mm. careers off the back of this. And yet, yeah. any any other person who tried to essentially have their brand or their career rest on an element of their personality or a certain element of what they were trying to say and then to be revealed a hypocrite about that, I don't see that working out particularly well for them but sexual assault and and misogyny and mistreatment of women that's fine it doesn't make you a hypocrite it's like oh no yeah no you've changed your position yeah no completely and again Mm. we've got yes we have cosby going to jail but with his lawyer saying that you know jesus was persecuted too um (laughs) i i don't think cosby is the messiah he is just a very naughty boy and then we've got and then and then we've got GQ who are like yeah Johnny Depp's going to be our cover star and he's an outlaw he's a romantic byronic hero who you know fight you know fights with his fists it's like no that's that's an abuser that's a there were Amber Heard was granted a restraining order yeah. by a judge what more do you want no why are you spinning this why are you helping him what's he got coming out that you're that invested in I, the only way that I can look at this, Ed, without completely losing my mind is we're in what I hope are the labour pains of a better world. Mm. It is excruciating. It feels like it might kill us all. Mm -hmm. But particularly women and sexual assault survivors are incredibly strong and will just take strength from this hopefully and then we will be in a better place this is this is part of the process there is an awareness now that is long overdue but that Mm -hmm. finally seems to be making its way to the top of the cultural consciousness but the systems take a very long time to dismantle and to make better um Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a long fight. Rebecca Traster wrote in The Cut um, an article about Kavanaugh and that, you know, there is a lot of pain ahead. But if we can't, it's it's worth too much 
to not just grit down our teeth and bear it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think and hope these are the labour pains of a better world, because I don't mm. see much that has. There's been change, but there's not been accountability and restoration yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I can't. I can't remember which piece I read in, but someone talked about it as being. Uh, you know, maybe this is too. Um, this is too hopeful of phrasing. We've been talking about it being the death throes of the patriarchy and the violent death throes of the patriarchy, particularly. And like, I guess anything that has violence in it isn't really that hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 like, I think that that seems to me the most hopeful way to look at it. Like, it's bad now because there are people in power who realize that their control of the stories that people can tell has been eroded that people are willing to you know obviously including dr ford are willing to come forward and tell stories that in a kind of a public way that could and very likely will kind of like have hugely detrimental effects on their lives but because they need to get out there and they need to tell people what happened to them and to tell people the truth about the way that women are treated in the world and women have been saying these things for centuries but there does seem to be finally a shift in people listening and there has been a tide and it has got to a point where in Rebecca Tracy's article she talks about the point why this has happened is that they're running scared we are Mm -hmm. we are pushing against them we are pushing back I think Dr Ford is an absolute hero I mean it's not as if America doesn't have a precedent for this kind of thing because you've got mm. what Anita Hill had to go through. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a really... <laughs> because it's not just entertainment. I think that's the thing. I'm looking at the article, the New York Times article by Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey, and it was seen as this one guy. Right, it was seen mm. as Weinstein. It was seen as a film thing. He was like the boogeyman nightmare stereotype of this film producer, megalomaniac, narcissistic, borderline psychopathic. But it, it was amazing because it did just seem that it was this one instant, and then everything just went. Oh no, it's everywhere. It's pernicious. It's pandemic. It's every single institution because drum roll please that's how patriarchy works it's everywhere Mm. it's not just film and I think before you know it was a lot there was a lot of discussion and the kind of rhetoric after Weinstein broke was like a pox on your you know there's something rotten in the state of Hollywood and we need to clear things up and and take responsibility and treat each other better but now that Kavanaugh's been confirmed I don't see how anyone can look at America and say it's a civilized society Mm. after all of that because it was it was different from um, Anita Hill and, and Clarence Thomas because you know it's not <laughs> and I hate I hate saying this Ed you know I hate saying this it's not just the sexual assault um, it's mm. the fact that Kavanaugh's perjured himself and yeah. li- and lied repeatedly easily on tiny things <laughs> as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> like um, you know you'd, you'd think he'd listen to enough testimonies that he'd know how to you know bring up a good one himself but Mm. I think also we should all just like maybe start putting aside 
some money and stockpiling all the vitamins for Ruth <laughs> Bader Ginsburg. Because, mm-hmm. you know, RBG is the OG. And yeah. I, I need her to do more push-ups because she's going to have to do a lot, a lot of work now that he's there. Yeah. But it's just stunning to think a year ago it did just seem, oh, it's this guy. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's pretty much all of them. <laughs> yeah, and and also in in terms of things to be hopeful for, I think I found it very inspiring seeing the sheer number of women who have run for elected office in the states in the year since. Yeah. Um, in um, out of a, a sense of 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 civic duty and wanting to protect the gains that have been made over the years of of fear of what's going to happen, of anger at, you know, the fact that Donald Trump got elected inspired by Hillary Clinton, you know, nearly winning, well, winning the popular vote, nearly winning the presidency. You know, it's a very complicated uh, morass of things that are driving people. I think it's been very inspiring seeing how many of them have have run for office, have won their primaries. Uh, the, the fact that record numbers of women are pretty much certain to win election to Congress uh, and, you know, like, um, but that's partly like just a sign of how heavily male uh, a government in the US is anyway, because yeah. like the last time people talked about this was in 1992, the year of the woman, where uh, like it was something like there are now 50 female members of Congress. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's bad. I mean, yeah. it's an achievement, but it's bad. Um, and this 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 one hopefully is going to be a, <laughs> a much more significant uh, number. But but also what you see a lot of is of those can uh, those those uh, women candidates who are running for office a lot of them have been willing to talk about their own experiences of sexual assault and that feels yeah. like something that two four years ago you know the last rounds of elections that isn't something that would have been f- that they would have felt comfortable talking about in the public sphere it seems like something that um bec- because of the the horrible way that society is set up that that would in some way be disqualifying if people were to talk about that having happened to them and the fact that it isn't and that it's the dialogue around issues of sexual assault has shifted so much in that way, I think has to be um, encouraging in that it, it means that people are willing to acknowledge that this is like an endemic thing that happens all the damn time. Completely. And more radical action. Like you and I sang the praises of Olivia Munn and mm. her effort to expel a sexual predator from the predator. Mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we need i see a lot of rhetoric and, and kind of lines of like go out and vote because obviously on your shores edge you have an election coming up very soon mm-hmm. and yes i'm not going to tell anyone to vote or not to vote but i would just suggest that it's your day-to-day civic activism that will also do a lot more so i'm glad that all these women are running for congress i think that's brilliant i'm i'm glad that some that there may be some degree in in change of how assault is is reported and, and dealt with going forward but mm. everyone needs to be doing something <laughs> themselves yeah. every day don't stay silent help help people advocate here's here's a little hopeful thing from uh, from my country um, mm-hmm. Or my collection of countries. Let's not get into that. That's a whole. That's a whole other thing. But yes. uh, <laughs> everyone's former favourite cuddly Irishman turned raging transphobe 
Graham, oh, yeah. Graham Linehan actually got a verbal warning from the police. Oh, wow. The other day, yeah. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Norfolk police said something about a man in his 50s in the Norfolk area receiving a, a verbal warning under the, I think it's the 1997 Protection Act, which mm-hmm. is an interesting piece of legislation. Like, that's, that's getting on now, but it, it's good to see that it's actually being applied to help trans yeah. people. And I hope that this sets a precedent going forward because not to say that TERFs or, sorry, gender critical feminists <laughs> do one, but it's not, it's not to say that I agree with any of their arguments, but some of them are actually trying to argue, right? A lot of them mm-hmm. online are actually debating, right? Yeah. In uh, <laughs> the marketplace of ideas, which to me just feels more like Facebook marketplace. You're like, I don't want anything that anyone is selling here. I don't trust any of you. But Linehan has subjected so many trans people and women. He blocks, mm. he blocks cis women who are allies to trans women. And he says, you know, there's a right kind of woman to be. Yeah. And if I'm the wrong kind of woman for Linehan, I don't want to be right. Mm, yeah, and then uh, everyone's pointed this out about him when he was on Twitter, but I don't think he is anymore. I think he got, he left. Or, although that's what I've been told because I blocked him ages ago, so I don't know for, <laughs> I don't know for certain. Feels but, good, um, doesn't it, Ed? Feels really good. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that, that, that stage of like, okay, I'm going to unfollow you because you're spouting a lot of incredibly hateful things into my feed that I don't need ever. But then also like then people like retweeting him to see like, oh, what an arsehole. It's like, oh God, now I've got to yeah, try and uh, obliterate him from my timeline. But yeah, like that he, that everyone points out that he blocked uh, you know, women who disagreed with him so that whenever his replies filled up with uh, male, uh, cis male allies of trans people, then he could be like another man telling me about feminism. It's kind of like, hmm, yeah, this uh, this feels disingenuous. Methinks uh, you've rigged it, sir. And yeah. um, I think it was someone on Twitter who said that if you ever feel bad, writers, about your writing and not being able to take criticism well, <laughs> just remember that his whole tirade began because someone accused him of being a transphobe because he was very transphobic in an episode of The It Crowd. I'm like, actually, I don't mm. handle rejection all as badly as I thought I did. Mm. Yeah, I've not got the... Norfolk police knocking on my door because I felt a bit hurt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that Yeah, that whole thing has been such a... A, a, a mess and such a, <laughs> like such a dispiriting thing to think you know because you think someone oh you know this person aligns with me on so many political things and seems so um supportive of so many things and then like there's that one little corner of their personality where you're like oh no <laughs> what a truly awful person oh no why why did you have to do it he did a weird thing years ago i remember him posting it was like a before and after makeup mm-hmm. thing of women who were uh, porn actors right and it showed them barefaced and then it showed them after they'd had their makeup done and like you would with any model or anyone who has to wear a lot of makeup for their work there's a distinct difference mm-hmm. which he then posted being like oh such a shame and i'm like mm-hmm. why, why are you hating on Obviously, it's a it's a swerf thing. Like he's he's acting against, like he's discriminating against sex workers. Yeah, but it's this idea of like, what Graham Linehan? Do you just want all women to be just the way they are? Fuck off! Like, let them wear makeup <laughs> and have sex for money if they want to. Like, 
so yeah he's always been a little bit but it's just it's staggering to see how 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 full-blown nuts he is because he's not even doing a jordan peterson right he's not mm-hmm. at least trying to sort of have any sort of level of academia or kind of rigor it's literally just all caps all the time mm. he's not he's not telling anyone to buck up he's not calling anyone boyo <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't sound like kermit <laughs> father turf get to him. <laughs> <laughs> um so our topic this week is uh, largely inspired by the debut of the trailer for Adam McKay's movie Vice, which is his movie about former vice president and an all-around dreadful human being, Dick Cheney, <laughs> which uh, debuted this week. And it got us kind of thinking about film marketing, also about kind of like misleading marketing specifically, you know, kind of like trailers and posters and things that are kind of designed to sell you one thing, but in the end they sell you another thing or like where you watch something and like it feels so obtuse in the way in which it's selling its ideas that you kind of come away thinking they're hiding something from us here so that's that's kind of where where what we're kind of going to be talking about this week uh i also um fortuitously went to go and see uh a star is born last night and i thought it was interesting that um the trailer for a star is born which has been viewed a billion times by everyone is <laughs> one, one of the best one of the best trailers of of recent memory it does have like it, it does that thing which a lot of trailers do now where there's a line of dialogue that is only in the trailer and is not in the movie um which is when dave Chappelle is talking to jackson main played by uh bradley cooper and he says to him you know like all these years I've known you, this is the first time I've ever worried about you, which isn't in the movie, and I think it's probably better because the scene itself is uh, doesn't require something that pointed. Mm. Like it's very it's very clear that these guys have known each other for pretty much their whole lives and they deeply love each other and that Dave Chappelle is is concerned for what Bradley Cooper is going for. But uh, I, I did find that interesting thinking, oh yeah, that's something that uh, happens a lot. <laughs> and it used to be something that people always pointed out for like comedy trailers. Like there'd be jokes in the trailers that didn't make it into the final movie. But uh, I do find it interesting how that's just something that happens now. It's just kind of like, yeah, here's just a bit, I guess, to make the film look more appealing. But you'll never hear this line of dialogue or see this scene in context. Because you need that exposition for the trailer in a really quite, uh, quite inelegant line. <laughs> mm. It could be it could be from sort of any any film. It's like that's your motivation, not your dialogue. Yeah. That's interesting. It's like, oh, the- this guy who's stumbling down drunk, his friends are worried about him. Yeah, we should really, ha- we should really hammer that home. <laughs> uh, and also kind of a, a recent example of this, and this is spoilers, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen Avengers Infinity War. Probably the most famous example of this recently was the fact that the trailer for Avengers Infinity War has like the hero shot of all of the Avengers lined up, one of whom is the Hulk, who isn't in the movie past the opening <laughs> 10 minutes. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, which... Uh, which I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of in favour of that idea because it does at least um, obscure what is kind of like a fairly important point in the movie, and like the the fact that Banner is trying to make the Hulk appear and he just won't is kind of like a, an important runner mm. um, across the entire course of the movie. Uh, but I did find it very funny that everyone was so furious about that when the movie <laughs> came out and like this shot is a lie. <laughs> Yeah, not quite sure if that counts fully as fake news. And I don't <laughs> really see why people are quite so 
angry when a giant CGI green man <laughs> <laughs> isn't where they expect him to be. Anyway, yeah. no, I'm being I'm being mean. I I get that. Like it's <laughs> like it's important. It's part of the part of the integrity of your story world, and that that mm. trailer is that invitation. It's you know inviting you to come into that story world, and that's what I find generally so i think for all of the chat about marketing very few films are marketed well at all because Mm. it seems that what marketing wants to do is uh, and i'm talking about sort of the mainstream is here's the thing that's like that thing you liked but different enough that you'll come and see this Mm. and which means that so many trailers end up looking and sounding and feeling the same i mean that's what's so brilliant about the concept of inner world like bell's film where Mm. she plays a trailer announcer and her father is um played by fred melamed of course he's he's fucking brilliant his he is he is the voice he's he's the guide he's the shepherd into all of these things and he sets this tone and trailers now are still i i rarely watch them it's mm. and again it's something that if i am in the cinema i'd love to get there early enough to watch the proper trailers not the ads um yeah. but i think because of netflix and amazon and streaming although that's starting to come in now i've noticed netflix has started also playing me trailers and i'm like nah, not not that fast <laughs> but to me it's to me it is the kind of trailers should be the the little like like nibbles before you before your big meal, before your big movie main course. And I remember being so excited growing up when trailers got released and, and dropped. And, and I mean, you and I were talking about Mary Poppins Returns not, not that long mm. ago with Glee. And that definitely feels like a very good trailer. I think the art of trailer making is interesting. And like you were saying, A Star is Born in itself as a trailer, so well done and entertaining. <laughs> mm. You're like, oh my God, you know, you, you have to see the film and, it manages to set a tone and kind of give you a little slice of a little peek into that story world where you're like, yeah, I want to see the rest of it. Whereas I saw um trailer for Mary Queen of Scots the other day. Okay. Uh, the yeah. first, I think it's the first feature film from Josie Rourke, who's an incredible um, theatre director. And you've got Saoirse Ronan as uh, Mary and Margot Robbie as Queen mm. Elizabeth, who looks absolutely fantastic. And the voice and her movement and stuff is really, really interesting. Um, but it, there's a lot of kind of facing each other down. And I kind of came away from it being like, well, it's not misleading. But again, it's that total thing of the trailer. Like, why would I want to see the film now? It's all kind of been spent. Mm. And I got it really for free or like inclusive with watching something else. So I'm prepared, I'm prepared, to, be, uh, I'm prepared to be proven wrong. But in terms of... Um, Margot Robbie being transformed into a um, aging redheaded uh, Queen of England, Christian Bale mm. as Dick Cheney in Vice, mm. because as soon as the trailer got released, the only narrative around it is, "Oh my God, that's Christian Bale." <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I described it to you as really uncanny. It is, uh, it, it, not not just in the sense of like, "Wow, he really looks like it," but as in the sense of like 
there's there's some there's something wrong about this about how how much he looks like him yeah he looks so much like him i've got that uncanny valley thing which i've never had Mm. before which is where a real person starts to look cgi yes rather than the other way around there's something not quite right there actually also a slight tangential point uh gq ran a story about christian bale as dick cheney with uh, the headline christian bale is now dick cheney can he ever go back so gq there (laughs) being more critical of a comeback of someone who's just played a part rather than someone who beat his wife. Yes, Ed, mm. I am going to keep uh, keep being on this fucking hill and I will continue to die on it. Anyway, but it was interesting because that, that feels... You and I have spoken a little bit off mic about transformative roles, mm. often, yeah. often biopics of like real people. And the one that you brought up that I thought was a really interesting counterpoint to um, Bale and Vice is um, Nicole Kidman as Virginia Woolf in The Hours because it felt like everyone was just focusing on this prosthetic nose Mm. which was a shame because it did make her look a lot more like Virginia Woolf and she did actually do quite a good performance but it does feel Oscar baity which is weird because the rest of the way that the trailer is structured is like clickbait Mm, yeah, where it's just like uh, Sam Rockwell is George W. Bush and Steve Carell is Donald Rumsfeld and all of those kind of like duh, 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 duh. it really does feel as if that like it's going to say you know you'll never guess what happened next or whatever. And it, and it basically <laughs> does. It basically says the story you didn't know about the stuff. Sam Rockwell's also fucking eerie as W. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a bit of casting I would not have expected, but like as soon as you see it, it's like oh yeah, like. That that's that's kind of perfect, but also like almost you know too perfect. His brow, the way he talks, oh, it's oh yeah, deeply weird and uncomfortable watching. But then you, but then we've got this kind of juxtaposition of like, so 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 what is this? Have we got like, you know, an incredible leading performance that's incredibly what a transformation and how mm. plausible and believable? But then it's also this Adam McKay like we're going to talk about a huge player in American history, but then the marketing's like, oh, no one knows anything about it. I'm like, I don't, I don't think Dick Cheney's exactly a secret. <laughs> Is it just yeah, me? Yeah, I, I seem to remember him, I seem to remember him making some headlines. Yeah, like, once he's, or twice. Uh, he's been about, and I don't really see why <laughs> it's this idea of like, we're showing you something that no one else will show you. Because it seems like actually it, it could be a much better opportunity for a more, you know, like the esteem picture. Like this could be McKay's like real Oscar um, push forward. Mm-hmm. But it still seems to be like, but hey, remember you, the big short? You guys like yeah. Steve Carell and Christian Bale and films that are uneven in tone and a bit too long and appeal mainly to men because don't get me wrong i like margot robbie in a bath as much as anyone else explaining things to me but that's definitely for men not for uh, rampant bisexuals like myself um mm. so i came away really wanting to see vice i do but i but not because of the tone that the trailer set through the marketing yeah and and i made this comparison to you off mike as well like it feels like and I, I i wonder if this has been uh if this guy quietly has been like one of the more 
influential filmmakers of recent years just in terms of how these kind of like mid-budget movies are sold it does feel like david o russell's work particularly uh, american hustle mm. where the trailer for that was really all about trying to sell you on the energy of a movie like you watch the trailer for american hustle and you're really not entirely sure what the movie's about like there's people doing crimes and <laughs> someone's investigating them and they're all wearing wigs and Jennifer Lawrence is dancing in a kitchen. Disco! And, yeah, and, and uh, Bradley Cooper's pulling a face, you know. He's got <laughs> weird hair. Yeah, and, and like it doesn't really give you like a sense of what the movie's about. It just kind of promises you this is a feeling you're going to have. You're going to have a rush yes. of watching this movie. And, and you can see that. I think it's 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 almost certainly been done with a couple of other movies that I I can't remember right now, but like you can really start in the trailers for something like Itonia, which really builds itself as you know like high energy, which which the movie largely um, lived up to. Like that's a very energetic movie, but like the trailer definitely seemed to be like okay, we're going for the American hustle feel. You definitely saw that also more recently with White Boy Rick, which has exactly the same kind of vibe to it, right down to you know because of the setting being the early eighties, you know, kind of like. Uh, 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 disco music and you know kind of like it's all about basically making a trailer which feels like the last half hour of Goodfellas yeah <laughs> just kind of like things are happening <laughs> look people <laughs> acting um, <laughs> the camera is moving it's floating <laughs> you know and they, they all have they all have that kind of like feel and for the most part they tend to be representative of the movie as it ends up being but it does feel as if that is for your 20 to 30 million dollar budgeted oscar play what you know the the warm kind of like sound effect from <laughs> the everyone side bothering from uh, inception um <laughs> a couple of years ago or like the, the other thing which i hate and i don't know if they do this on i don't think they do this in cinemas but they certainly do it when you watch a trailer on like youtube it's with the, the, the mini trailer for the trailer oh, wow. where like here's five seconds of a random assemblage of shots from the thing you're just about to watch, oh. um, which was on the uh, the the most recently I saw that on the uh, Enter the Spider Verse more recent trailer, which is a great trailer in general. But like the <laughs> that bit at the start, it's like, why do we still do this? Uh, you're not gonna. Are you trying to entice me to not skip the trailer I'm opting to watch? <laughs> I don't understand. It's like those bizarre moments where you're in some big franchise film in the cinema. And then you've got the cinema chain tie-in advert telling you when the film is released. And you're like, I know I'm here. Mm. <laughs> I've bought this popcorn combo. Why are you showing me this just before the film? <laughs> that's, that's something that American, American theatres now have started doing for, for major releases. This thing that I find, I find profoundly strange, which is... Um, at the beginning, right before the movie starts, like after you've gone through the trailers, they will have the cast and crew of the movie kind of like show up, you know, kind of sitting in a, in a studio with the name of the yeah. movie behind them. And they'll just be like, thank you for coming to see our movie in a theatre. And it's just kind of like, this feels like weird and uncomfortable and strange and it sets a strange vibe. There's some kind of like real sense of desperation to it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like, like it's, it's, it's weird to have someone telling you thank you so insincerely when mm. they're multi-millionaires off the back of your buck but still need your buck in that particular place and time they all look like they're being held hostage it looks like the end of the press mm. junket day 
and they're all um, skin-covered coconut water and guarana supplements just to get through. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's weird because it's not like I'd come away being like, they didn't say thank you. I'm not <laughs> going to see any more of their films. It's just this like yeah. very commodified kind of lurch towards having a sort of human human face on art and human faces and culture it's very weird mm, um yeah craig t nelson didn't bow to me <laughs> <laughs> so i wouldn't recommend anyone go and watch incredibles 2 the ninth most successful movie ever made <laughs> <laughs> oh that's one of my favorite favorite facts of <laughs> the past five years oh but i think there's the thing is with with martin being misleading i've read i re- you know how terrible I am for remembering where I've read things. So I apologize. Mm. But I remember reading I'm an in- <laughs> I remember reading an interesting article that was about the Mexican, the Brad mm. Pitt, Julia Roberts vehicle that absolutely bombed. And everyone yeah. was like, these are two of the most charming, interesting, like you couldn't get more A-list than these two. And they were in this film that was marketed as a sort of rom-com paper bit mm-hmm. bit bonnie and clyde bit race against time generally something that most people would think oh that's a solid date film but yeah what the film actually ended up being was a much darker stranger twistier kind of ride and it just killed word of mouth because people weren't didn't get what they had been led to believe it was going to be and they felt betrayed mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. there was this one marketing executive who said if you've ordered pasta and you've told people <laughs> they're getting pasta it doesn't matter how good the pizza is because that's not what they're expecting or what they've agreed to and it's interesting yeah. that there is this kind of little social contract that a trailer creates with an audience saying this is what you'll have mm. i was burned by it particularly recently because when my mum was becoming really ill, I would find myself, as one would, trying to look for something that would cheer me up. And on BBC iPlayer not that long ago, uh, BBC Films co-production, Florence Foster Jenkins popped up mm. in the film section. I thought, I really wanted to see that. And I remember at the time there was quite a big marketing campaign for it. And it was generally appeared to me, oh, it's Stephen Frears. It's, it'll be kind of feel-good... It'll be, as the trailer pitched it, it'll be, oh, look at Meryl Streep being so unself-aware and singing really badly. And it'll be a bit cringy, but there'll be something uplifting at the end. But that was the focus Mm. of the trailer. The focus of the trailer was Florence Foster Jenkins is deluded. Her husband's caught in between all of this. Yikes, what's he going to do? It's like a comedy of errors. Yeah. Oh, boy, Ed. So I sat down to watch it. and. I think it was about 15 minutes in. I was like, oh yeah, this is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. It was not what they told me mm. it was going to be. And it's actually such a great film. I don't think it's entirely successful and it wanders off on a couple of unhelpful tangents. And I think, again, it's more of a structural thing. I think, I think it is hurt by having a very bland audience kind of gateway character into it. Completely. Like... Big bang piano yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it, and it is hurt because it doesn't quite it, it's trying to 
balance having something very bold and strange as a story with something that's still accessible, but it it, it just goes too far on the side of bland, I think. But mm-hmm. the film is, spoilers for anyone, um, a really poignant and quite gut-wrenching portrayal of a carer with someone that they mm. love, who they care for, trying to give them the best last days of their life before their inevitable death and so yeah i was obviously really pleased to watch that instead <laughs> when i was looking for um for something to take my mind off my mum's illness um but it was it was brilliant and in a way in a weird way it actually did help me understand my situation a little better it's just not what i asked for um but the yeah. thing is the marketing as well was so strange because similar to what we were just saying about vice there the trailer was essentially saying here's some fluff whereas Mm. Hugh Grant's performance in Florence Foster Jenkins is I think his best dramatic performance ever he he creates a character who is not amoral or immoral but is deeply flawed incredibly decently motivated but also is a man of the flesh and Mm. is struggling with desires and doubt and trying to do the right thing but veers on being condescending it's just such a gloriously complex portrait of a really interesting character and you could have you 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 could have hinged everything on that but apparently it wasn't going to be an oscar goer or an awards Mm. ceremony goer at all which i think is such a shame because genuinely one of the best performances of hugh grant's career has been buried for the sake of appearing a bit flippant i think yeah of of trying to market the movie to like midwestern mums yeah but then again why are you marketing it to midwestern mums when that's the actual content of the film if you have to basically take one element of a film and and emphasize it out of all proportion with how it actually is in the film why is that the audience that you're wanting to get if you have to essentially deceive them Mm. is it just because they're a big one yeah, I guess that's part of it. It also reminds me of uh, probably the most infamous example of this, of someone being just so furious about the movie that they got based on the trailer, was uh, the trailer for Drive, which <laughs> was edited in such a way as to make people think that it was this like high-octane action movie, like people thought it was going to be like some sort of like Fast and the Fury sort of thing. And when you watch it, it's this kind of very kind of meditative movie about a criminal and it's lots of moody shots of pretty people looking at each other to electronica and yeah it's like um, here's here's some more slow-mo and we're going to play the chromatics extended version strap in guys (laughs) uh and a a woman sued the company that uh, the the studio like famously like sued them saying you know like i wanted an action movie and i didn't get it and they they, i am pretty sure the lawsuit was tossed out otherwise all of hollywood marketing would be radically different but um, <laughs> it just be a it just be um, like in Hail Caesar, you know, where it says like divine divine presence not shy. It just be a black screen and then text saying, you know, coming soon, Avengers: Infinity War is the twentieth movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It stars these actors. It <laughs> comes out on this day. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I, I'm. Maybe uh, this is me taking my uh, love of Scandinavian minimalism too far. But maybe just give us press releases. That's all I need. <laughs> Just give me the bare bones. I'm not sure I want much more. But you know what? Yeah. But some, because sometimes you can be really beautifully surprised. Like an, an, an instance of where marketing was misleading, but then I had an amazing time, was Arrival, 
Mm. And of course, this is the struggle that you have when you're marketing a film that basically hinges on a, on a twist. And yes. I know I've sounded very, very negative thus far about, about marketing. I do think it's a really, it is, it is an art, it is, it's not a science because there is so many different motivations and things behind it. And I do think you look at like really amazing distributors and marketers like A24, for example, like they work so hard to make sure that the films get to their audience you know, and I, so I think that's an example of good marketing. It's appreciating exactly what you're offering and finding those people rather than just trying to sort of like blanketly <laughs> say, mm-hmm. give people what they don't, don't want, need or ask for. Um, but Arrival was great. because I remember watching the trailer and feeling very ambivalent about it. Um, I'd never read the short story, um, the story of your life. Um, I knew nothing about it. So I was like entirely ignorant. I was like, Amy Adams is good. Uh, it's, it, it looks quite moody um but I just wasn't that fussed and it was um my my boyfriend at the time and uh who convinced me like no our our mutual friend says it's amazing and they don't say that very often about films I was like okay and then yeah it was I, I thought it was amazing and it, and it totally my my mind flipped and I was like oh that was so great but then yeah, if, if your main draw and your unique selling point is something that you don't want to spoil, that's that's really hard. So I was trying to mm. think, I was trying to remember what the Sixth Sense trailer looked like back in the day. And I think it was very much that, you know, VHS, like you, you'd have the voiceover and the kind of intertitles and then snippets of like, but then that had enough of a, well, you know, snippets of dialogue from the film, like I see dead people. And it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. that's enough of a hook. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you, kid? Let's see, shall we? That reminded me. I was talking to to someone at work about this the other day. I, as 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 long as I can remember, I have always known that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a plays a good Terminator in Terminator Two, and I I just had always known that. I'm pretty sure that was like the focus of the marketing was like this time he's a good guy, especially because at that point, like that was the point at which. Arnold had switched into oh he plays heroic figures and for years and years and years I didn't realize that that was meant to be a twist yeah. in the movie because when you watch it with that in mind it's like oh right they are actually playing it very close to their chest about which one of these two guys is there to kill John Connor and which isn't and then like I was reading up on it it's like oh like literally they spoiled that in the trailer because uh and like they revealed this thing that's like a crucial thing that the whole movie hinges on but the kind of trade-off there is like well what do you show of the movie if you don't if you can't say that up front like so much of the movie happens after that point yeah (laughs) that it's almost impossible to really kind of like say and other examples i found like um the the script the trailer for scream is a very fascinating artifact in that regard because um spoilers for scream um Drew Bar- Drew Barrymore's in it a lot more than she is in the movie. Yeah, um, like like they sh- they show a bunch of shots of her, and they're very clever in that you know there's shots of her in different locations, so it looks like she's going to be like the the the, pr- the the trailer can be summarized as Drew Barrymore's in this a lot. I promise, <laughs> um, uh, which isn't the case, <laughs> um, but that's a that's very very effective at hiding what is you know a kind of a, a crucial twist, uh, and also to kind of go back into superhero movies 
the Iron Man 3 trailer is all, and the entire marketing about that is like, oh, Iron Man's finally going to be facing off against the Mandarin, who's a very powerful and important figure. And in the movie, uh, he isn't. <laughs> he's <laughs> like an actor that they hired to play this guy, and he's just like a, a down-in-his-look thespian from London. And that's a really funny twist, and I really like Iron Man 3 because it does that twist really well. Um, but yeah, that was that's a very clear example of them being like, okay, we have to do everything we can to hide this twist from the marketing. Everyone has to go in thinking that the bad guy of this movie is the Mandarin. And that's the difference between misleading marketing and misdirection. Mm. And misdirection yes. is that beautiful magic sleight of hand where you yes. are on board enough with the trailer that when something different happens in the film that's genuinely unexpected, you're like, oh, what a rush. That's great because mm. it's still, but there's still the premise of the film that was promised in the trailer has still been met somehow. Yes. It's in, but you're just like, oh, 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 how clever. I did not see that coming, but there was enough for me to get through where I, I haven't, I'm not betrayed. I've been delightfully tricked. <laughs> mm, yeah. And you kind of com- contrast that with something like the trailers for t- for Sweeney Todd, the Tim Burton movie, which feature <laughs> no singing. <laughs> and the movie is 90% sung. <laughs> um, which I remember people complaining about on uh, Facebook at the time. And I'm being like, well, how can people be surprised? It's Sweeney Todd. It's, <laughs> like, it's a very famous musical. <laughs> but then I think uh, maybe maybe most people aren't quite that aware of it. But that that was one that I really feel like the the drop off after the opening weekend was uh, an, a testament to how well the trailers worked in getting people in the door, but also how much of a huge lie. Yeah, they were. Should, should have been at least mentioned. Like, oh yeah, the music you hear under this—it's not just background. <laughs> It's not. It's not a drawing up for the trailer. It's it's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, and some other kind of like examples that I thought were just really funny of a, of a trend that is cr- uh, creeping in more and more, which I find to be really interesting and funny when you kind of spot them that happening is movies big ensemble casts where they kind of construct scenes that aren't in the movie by just juxtaposing. Uh, shots from different scenes um the kind of the big example again this takes us back to adam mckay is the trailer for the big short which ends with steve carell saying something funny and everyone in the room that he's in laughing and then a cut away to brad pitt from a different part of the movie <laughs> laughing <laughs> as if to be like oh all of these people are in it together like, everyone's laughing <laughs> Yeah, and this all of these characters are like together in the same story at the same time. It's like actually, though, no, he's off doing his own thing, and he's never in the same room as any of these people. It is weird. It is weird how we've come back to this idea of like honesty, or like promising, or lying, or like the artistic license that trailers have to have in order to get everything across in as little time as they have. And it's like you know, Brad Pitt was probably like, "I need to be featured this much in the trailer." Um, and they were like, oh, nuts, haven't got enough Brad. I will just stick him in laughing at the end. Because the thing that I think is, it's slightly um, plateaued as a YouTube trend now. But I remember, you know, about three or four years ago, and I was definitely nuts for it myself, was Honest Trailers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you'd have, I think Honest Trailers was like a specific channel, but you had lots of other people doing similar things that were kind of talking about what the film would actually be like versus what the trailer was telling you and it seemed Mm. 
almost vaguely satirical because it was essentially poking fun at, well, these people are trying to get us to watch this film. They're wanting to sell us something. But we know, we've seen the film now, we know what it's actually about or we can see right through this trailer in a kind of magic eye type way. Like, oh yeah, there's one layer, but we know what's really going on. This slightly conspiratorial, mischievous exposure of mm. um of the mechanics of trailers and stuff and i think that the success of that goes to show our really strange relationship with trailers mm. yeah I-, I think you mentioned a24 earlier i think they have a very strong track record of being able to cut trailers that are incredibly effective, particularly for their horror output, oh, yeah. which we talked we talked about about, but but like, but like like that are very good at selling what are often very difficult and knotty movies to a mainstream audience, like something like The Witch. The trailer for The Witch yeah. make does a very very good job of foregrounding all of the obviously scary stuff in a way that makes it seem like a very very mainstream horror. And then when you watch it, it's much more sinister than that, you know. And I, th- I think that is... And, and some people chastise them for it, which I think is, um, you know, like... Val- I can actually make valid criticism of them saying, like, you know, they're, they're trying to put... They, they may be putting off more people than they're attracting because there are all these horror fans who absolutely loathe the movies they put out <laughs> because mm-hmm. they always think it's something else than what they're getting but then like the flip side of that is like yeah but the witch also earned like 20 million dollars in the u.s and like made more than its budget back so it's not like they 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 took a bad movie and then like cut together an effective trailer and it was like a smash and grab it was more like we have a good movie and we think we have a smart way of getting a lot of people to see this who might otherwise not and some people might be pissed off by it but we're more interested in lots of people seeing this movie than necessarily everyone being happy but you're right they they but they really tread that balance between finding the film's audience rather than Mm. a massive audience for the film like they're very good at knowing who that demographic is how to target them and how to push the boundaries of that demographic as far as it can go yes and i think the thing about a24 what they do really well is instead of I guess what I want from a trailer, right, going back earlier to being like, I just want a press release. I'm like, no, give me give me a mood board as well. Give me <laughs> give me some faces, give me some places, a colour grade and some music. Because if you just give information and set a tone, it's very hard for anyone to say that they've been tricked somehow. <laughs> mm. Which is why, funnily enough, actually... Maybe all trailers should be those five second mini trailers <laughs> where it's literally like, yeah. oh, I know who's in it. I know what it's called. I understand the feeling that I feel when I respond to this. And I think that's interesting because on, on A24's part, because I do think you you get more intrigue that way. You don't risk spoiling anything and you still give people a sense of what the film is about. But then I I guess it's how much people want to know about the plot and the premise first off. Yeah, yeah. I I think um, that's why two of my favourite trailers of the last decade, and and it helps that I love both movies as well, but like I still, even if I didn't love both movies, I think I would still love both trailers, are the trailers for A Serious Man and Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, gosh, yes. 
both tell you enough about the plot about the movie that you could like break it down to like what the movie is but they're really more about providing you with a feeling of what a sense of what the movie feels like you know like yeah. you watch the trailer for a serious man and it is the most stressful two minutes oh, you will God. experience on any given day of your life it is so obtuse you know it's just these repeated images like really just like the uh, like three or four scenes of the movie repeated over and over but each building upon each other and sounds of it and fred melamed saying we're gonna be fine (laughs) over and over again and and it's 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 great it's such an effective way of telling you what the experience of watching a serious man is going to be like but like until I sat down to watch that movie. I had no real sense about what it was and no. what was going to happen. Only a vague sense of who the cast were, you know, and, and that is like so good. I didn't know who Michael Stuhlbarg was, you know, at the time either. And like now he's like a guy who, as soon as I hear he's in a movie, it's like, oh yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, he's in Doctor Strange for 15 seconds. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a great it's a great trailer for doing that it really does sell you and, and where the wild things are does give you this sense of like this you know it's it's, it's beautifully autumnal it's sweet it's uh sweeping but sad and like when you watch the movie that's that's what the movie is you know mm. and and it doesn't if you've never read the book you get a sense of what the book is about but mainly you get a sense okay this is going to be a movie that makes me feel a lot of things <laughs> all the feels all the time <laughs> <laughs> okay we end this episode as we end all our episodes with shot of her shot recommends in which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you the listeners will enjoy as well emily what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week well mine is a little bit it's not one piece of culture it's a sort of a phenomenon uh mm-hmm. because you have been doing an excellent job of cheering me up by sending me memes and various things over the past um, few weeks. And I think literally every single A Star Is Born meme, <laughs> that's what I recommend. Just sit down, yeah. just just search, just scroll through them because there are so many good ones. I think one of my favourites is um, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, where it's <laughs> Donald in the car. Wait, Kim Jong turns around. <laughs> Donald, I just wanted to look at you again. And then a big smiley came dropping in. Like, it's just too perfect. So yeah, I uh, my my attention span and my energy is all a bit all over the place. Um, so it's, it can be harder to focus on on whole pieces of culture. But as as memes go, I think a star is born is just so memeable that mm. uh, yeah, amenable and memeable that um, I don't even need to see the film, and I'm very happy thus far. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how that trailer managed to spawn a bunch of memes, despite it being like only like two minutes of footage or whatever. Like that, that one, you know, look at you, and but also uh, uh, Gaga's kind of like huge moment in the song "Shallow" or "The Shallows," where you know she goes, "Oh, oh, oh." it's just every time I've seen someone put that over a different bit of footage. um, (laughs) I sent you the one the other day. Like it's, it's it's a fairly common meme. Uh, format now to take the bit where from the simpsons where where bart smashes a chair over the back of homer is in the bath and he screams and then replacing it with like robert plant's yell in immigrant song or whatever but them doing that with the gaga one is great especially because 
he moves so much <laughs> during that little bit of that episode of The Simpsons that you can just kind of keep moving him backwards and forwards to match the, the vocals. <laughs> also, uh, it's so perfect. In in terms of things that eerily match each other, uh, you've been sending me all of the beat, <laughs> beats beats per minute that that match with them. Um, Party rock anthem, which is which is great. Um, but my friend yesterday showed me one that absolutely blew my mind, which is the beginning of This Is America, Childish Cambino's incredible um <laughs> video art statement on the state of gun control and racism in America with Call Me Maybe by Carly Ray Jepsen. <laughs> it's completely completely the same, and all of um Donald Glover's movements and strange dancing just hits every single beat and i don't know how to feel about this but i did laugh a lot <laughs> oh that's amazing please send me that i will i will send you that right now <laughs> i'm gonna recommend um a series on youtube which i um discovered a couple of weeks ago uh, uh by a user called do not eat and it's called uh, franklin and what it is it's a let's play series of videos for the game cities skyline which is uh, for people who don't know but who know what sim city is it's basically sim city but kind of a little more kind of complex and strange you know there's things like you can drop asteroids on the cities and just generally destroy all of your good work uh at will which uh, is fun but but what's really good about franklin is it takes the the let's play format of someone playing a game and like narrating what they're doing and talking about it and uses it to explore the entirety of the history of urban planning in the United States. Oh. And it starts with, you know, he, the, the, the guy who does it, do not eat. Uh, I don't know what his, his real name is. Um, he starts with, you know, he creates this small Native American settlement, a uh, village uh, in like the 1700s. And then like the next episode, he's talking about, you know, settlers coming in and by the episode he's on now, which I think is about episode eight or nine, you know, he's got a, a city that's kind of taking shape as a, like industrial revolution era city and he's talking about the ways in which how we shape the places we live shape the future but also how the past has shaped the way that we live in terms of like racial kind of like ghettoization in terms of class and and things like that and it's a really exhilarating show i think i think it's really really exciting to watch this guy use a very accessible thing to kind of talk about radical politics in a way that's really really exciting and uh, i would really recommend it to anyone uh, who uh, shares my, my politics but uh, anyone who's <laughs> i think has interest has kind of like a, a slightly wonky interest in you know like how cities are formed and how they shape the societies that live within them and how the societies that live within them shape the cities i think it's it's a really really cool show and i'm really excited to see what else uh, he does with that format because uh, he, he, he whenever he talks about the ideas that he wants to explore with it is it's kind of ever expanding uh, and uh, I'm, i i really recommend that franklin by uh, do not eat there will be a link in the description for this episode well ed as someone who i think falls into both categories of sharing <laughs> your politics and having very wonky interests i'm all over it <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, uh, leave us a review and rate us. It's the best way to, and, and recommend it to your friends, that's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye.